two years and four months before the Novozyme incident in Greenland. Galina Poroskova looked a little paranoid. She also looked a little pissed. A tiny thing, maybe five foot four standing up, the low-slung wicker chair brought the cafe tabletop almost to her sternum. Wide, round sunglasses, a blue headscarf covering brunette hair, and a lipstick-stained cigarette held delicately between two fingers that angled toward the summer sky. Paul Fisher wondered if the girl was old enough to remember Jackie O, or if that was just a logical look for a woman trying to be incognito. If that was her intent, she had failed miserably. Her outfit drew more stares than if she'd just shown up in a tank top and jeans like all the other young women at the outdoor cafe. This whole trip was probably just a waste of time, but there were worse ways to kill an afternoon. At least a visit to Vancouver got him out of Maryland for a day or two and let him see the local sights. He walked toward her table, taking in those sights along the way. Something about an outdoor cafe in summer seemed to bring out the girls. The ink on Paul's divorce wasn't even dry, but hey, it never hurt to look. Looking, however, brought on a sense of melancholy. These fashion-conscious 20-somethings weren't interested in an old army divorcee who walked with a cane. Besides, the first thing he thought of when he saw these young women wasn't what they would be like in bed. It was if they were the kind of girls his son would like. Nothing marks a man's age like shifting from a lascivious voyeur to a matchmaker. He walked by a beautiful redhead reading a cosmopolitan magazine, then a black girl with cornrows that couldn't have been more than 19, then... Paul looked away, his face turning red. The tall, strawberry blonde sitting with a cup of tea had seen him looking, caught his eye, and smiled at him. She was only two tables away from Galena. Paul hurried past. He stopped at Galena's table. Miss Porizkova? She looked up at him, then down at his walking cane, then back up at his face. Since when do you walk with a cane? A strange question. Had he met her before? About nine months or so. Some ongoing knee surgery. Sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't. Just depends on the day. She leaned closer and looked at it. What is that on the handle? He held it up a little, out a little, for her to get a closer look at the brass handle. It's a bulldog. Obviously it was a bulldog, and it looked a lot like his dog Linnaeus. Paul's son had bought the cane as a gift, something to put at least a little fun in the long process of knee surgery recovery. The woman reached out to touch the bulldog handle, as if to see if it was real, then gestured across the table to the empty chair. Paul sat, noticing that the tabletop was scattered with a newspaper, her purse, a pack of cigarettes, a lighter, a half-empty coffee cup, and a crumb-dotted plate. Considering the methodical caution with which she'd contacted him and set up this meeting, he'd expected everything about her would be as equally organized. You came alone, she said. Paul Fisher smiled. Of course, that's what you asked. I'm really not used to this cloak and dagger stuff, Miss Poroskova. Galina, she said. Call me Galina, and don't play the country boy act with me, Mr. Fisher. What do you mean? She shook her head. Just stop. Your name is known in biotech circles. The quiet investigations of you, Samrat, aren't as quiet as you think. Paul's smile faded. She clearly wanted to get down to business. And how do you know we're doing that? I used to work for Amgen, she said. 
I was part of the xenotransplantation research at the Helix facility in Seattle. Paul nodded. Yu Samrad had been tapped to check up on xenotransplantation projects in the U.S. It was a strange fit, to be sure, but the combination of military stature and high levels of biological expertise made for a unique investigatory presence. And, of course, the military was always interested in any technology that might benefit wounded soldiers. The potential side effects of that technology, however unlikely their possible occurrence, also directly related to Yu Samrud's biowarfare research. You actually said hello to me, Galena said. I'm afraid I don't remember that. She shrugged and tapped Ash into the ashtray. Well, I remember you, obviously. You know that investigation of yours made them move the research to Brazil? Paul nodded. A bit disconcerting, he said. We didn't find anything wrong or really anything dangerous, but still they moved out of the U.S. so they'd have less oversight. Why didn't you go with the project? Because I don't want to live in the middle of a fucking jungle, she said. That's why I switched to Janata. You investigated them as well, yes? I know the Paglione brothers are not so fond of you. Paul said nothing. This girl knew a lot, but that wasn't a point of concern considering her position in the industry. The biotech community was highly specialized and rather close-knit. When army biologists showed up in Seattle and asked hard questions about safety or pressed Janata owners Dante and Magnus Paglione about foreign investment, word would get around. Still, he didn't need to confirm everything she said. We've checked up on several firms. How about you tell me why I'm here? Human experimentation, she said. She dashed out the lipstick-stained cigarette, instantly pulled another, and put it between her lips. She stared at Paul, then her eyes flicked to the lighter on the table and back again. Paul smiled. You can light that yourself. Anyone who knows anything about biology and smokes is doing so for fashion's sake, or to draw attention. I'm not going to facilitate that in the least. She huffed, then picked up the lighter and lit her cigarette. Tell me more about this human experimentation, Paul said. What are we talking about? Chimera research? Animals with human protein genes? She shook her head. Way beyond that. It's an exponential leap. Paul waited. It is chimera research, Galena said. Genada is creating a new animal with custom-coded genomes. Surrogate mothers will give birth to animals that already have mostly human organs. We're... Janada is close. Paul waved his hand in front of his face, wafting away her annoying cigarette stink. Mostly human organs, huh? That would be an exponential leap. And how is it that Janata is so far ahead of everyone else? How are they beating the immune response reaction? Because the surrogate mothers aren't cows or pigs or baboons, she said. They are human women. Paul sat back and stared at the Jackie Onassis wannabe. Such a thing was inconceivable. His first reaction had been correct. It was a wasted trip. No one had that kind of technology. I've seen it myself, Galena said. Human women carrying hybrid fetuses. That was impossible. Carrying hybrid fetuses. What? You mean carrying them to term? Close, Galena said. Very close. The women think they are surrogate mothers for infertile couples. They don't know what's inside of them, right up until they die. Paul stared into the woman's sunglasses, suddenly cognizant of his own reflection in them. 
When had he got so old? You're telling me that Janata is lying to these women, that these women are carrying experimental fetuses, and that those fetuses are causing their deaths. Galena nodded. I find this hard to believe, Paul said. That is not only an inconceivable jump in technology, but also a staggering accusation of human rights violations, of murder. She nodded again. She didn't seem like a good liar, nor did she seem like she was lying. How is this possible, Paul said. How can this be going on and the scientific community knows nothing about it? Because Dante Paglione doesn't want anyone mimicking the research, so there are no published papers or stockholder meeting reports about it. I can tell you this much, though. There are older reports that will clue you in as to how they are doing it. Do you know the work of Erica Hole and Liu Jandan? Hole, yes, Jean, no, Paul said. Everyone who knew anything in the field of biology knew of Erica Hole, who had been part of the first team to bring an animal back from extinction by using cloning technology and surrogate mothers from closely related species. He knew she'd joined Klaus Ruhmkorff's team at Janata, but the name Liu Jandan was new to him. Look up Jean's work, Galena said. She is a pioneer in bioinformatics. She developed a method of evolution in a computer, Mr. Fisher. I'm not making any of this up, and I'm not wasting your time. This is happening. It is happening right now, and they are very close to success. And what would success entail? The birth of an animal with transplantable human organs, Galena said. Organs that will not have the immune response reaction. The final solution to donor organ shortages. Paul's right thumb moved absently on the cane handle, his thumb sliding along the ridge between the brass Linnaeus's eyes. If Galena was right, Janata was on the verge of saving millions of lives. Janata would make billions, Paul said. Any scientist on that team would be a millionaire. So why aren't you part of Rumko's project anymore? I quit, Galena said quickly. The things they are doing, horrible. Someone needs to stop this before more women die. But I want to make one thing very clear here, she said, and leaned forward. Jandan might be behind the research, and Hoyle is a big part of that. But the driving force is Klaus Rumkorf. He's the one behind the whole thing. He's the only one that knows the whole picture. It's all on him. It's all on Rumkorf. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Paul couldn't miss the bitterness in her voice, the venom in her words. There was something personal here, Something deeply personal. 
This wasn't a good Samaritan or a citizen of the world acting on a conscience. This was a vendetta. He couldn't authorize a further investigation based on that alone. What evidence do you have? Everything, she said. Research plans, authorizations, data, and some video that will make you sick. How did you get this information? I got it out before I... before I quit. He thought for the second time that Galina Poroskova was a horrible liar. Paul knew as soon as he dug deeper, he would find that she hadn't quit at all. She'd been fired. Probably by Rumkorf himself. But just because she had an axe to grind didn't mean her story wasn't true. Didn't mean that women weren't dying due to some experimental creature in their bellies. We want that evidence, Paul said. We want it right away. I have demands, she said. First, you have to promise me that there will be no prosecution of Erica and Jeanne. Paul shook his head. If what you say is true, if people are dying from this research, I can't promise you that. Then you get nothing, she said. It's not on the table. I can give you Runkorf's head on a silver platter, Mr. Fisher, but you have to grant immunity to those two women. That bitterness clung to her every word. Her lack of skill at lying meant it was easy to see where she wouldn't back down. This was one such place. I can inquire about that, Paul said. I can't say for sure, but I'll see what I can do. Get the immunity or don't bother, Galena said. I'm not interested in what can and can't be done. I'm interested in you doing what I tell you to do. Paul nodded. She was holding all the cards, and he wanted those cards. I understand. What are the other demands? This will ruin me, she said. No one will hire me after I blow the whistle on Janada. My career will be over. And there it was. So you want money. How much? She looked away, took a drag off the cigarette, then let it out in a long, slow cloud. With the scarf and the poorly fitting sunglasses, smeared lipstick locking around that cigarette, the woman looked pathetic. Five million, she said, then again turned to face him. You Americans have all of that terrorism reward money. And do not bother telling me you can't get it, Fisher. Because if you can't, then no evidence. Immunity for me, Hole, and Jeanne, and the money. Galena, you are telling me that women are dying and you're holding out for money. I am not here to talk morals with you, she said. Morals are a double-edged sword. If you are so concerned about those women, then five million shouldn't bother you in the least. But let me give you one more piece of motivation. When this is all over, when Janata masters this process, guess who gets the technology? Paul waited. The other superpower, she said. The Chinese. The Chinese government is funding Janata? Among others, Galena said. But the big investor is China. What would your fellow military friends think if they knew the Red Army was developing an endless supply of replacement organs? His thumb slid a little harder across the cane head. The real Linnaeus's eyes would have narrowed with love, but the brass dog eyes stayed wide open. A project that could make billions and foreign involvement. The Chinese were on the up and up. They didn't run around assassinating anyone these days, but that didn't mean they wouldn't protect such a critical investment. You should come with me, he said. If what you say is true, you might not be safe. She waved a hand at him dismissively. They have no idea I have evidence. 
I'm not going with you so that I can be put on a plane and wind up in some unnamed American prison in Turkey or France. You have my conditions. I'm leaving. I will contact you in two days. You have the money. I will meet with you and show you the evidence. But how can I reach you? You can't, she said. You do this my way. Two days, Colonel Fisher. Have it all ready for me in two days. She stood and turned in one motion, then walked away, the end of her blue scarf trailing behind. Paul watched her for a second. He leaned heavily on his bulldog cane and stood. Soon, the doctors told him, he wouldn't need the cane anymore, but for now, just standing up was a real pain in the ass. Paul now understood the real reason Galena had asked for him, not gone to the WHO or the CIA or some other agency. She wanted a direct route to military decision-makers, someone who understood not only the multiple biological threats posed by Janata's research, but the potential strategic advantage as well. Pathetic as she might be, she knew exactly what she was doing. And Paul knew that when he kicked this story upstairs, she would get everything she demanded. The strawberry blonde watched Colonel Paul Fisher leave. She liked that cane. She also liked Galena's sunglasses, although they looked ridiculous on such a small woman. Clearly, some shopping was in order. But after the call. She pulled one of her phones out of her purse. She had four in there, one for general use and three for specific purposes. The latter were single-use phones, pre-programmed with the desired number for a routed call with three bounces and shifting encryption keys at each bounce. It would take the NSA's best crackers and a real-time supercomputer to crack such a system. She just so happened to know the NSA wasn't looking into her at the moment. Nor were they looking into Janata. She hit the call button, then sipped her Earl Grey as she waited. He answered on the fifth ring. Yes. Hello, Big Daddy. A pause. He didn't like it when she talked to him like that, which was a shame. Magnus Paglione was a real specimen, big and strong and violent and, if violence was your thing, exquisitely beautiful. Magnus didn't want to play. Magnus was a little bit boring. Did my sister meet with Dad? She did, the strawberry blonde said. How bad? All the way bad, Big Daddy. Sorry, you're going to have to take action. Did you record? Of course, the strawberry blonde said. Such a silly question, because if I hadn't, you'd probably spank me. She waited. He said nothing. So boring. I got it all, she said. But truth be told, Big Daddy, you don't really need to hear it. My professional opinion is your sister is going to get you into big trouble. Unfortunate, he said. How long do I have to convince her otherwise? Tonight. Tomorrow at the latest. Would you like me to talk to her for you? Another pause. The strawberry blonde thought of the little brunette, wondered what kind of pain noises a girl like that might make. No, Magnus said finally. I'll visit my sister. A shame. I understand, Big Daddy. You just give me a call if you need anything else. You know how to call, don't you? You just put your finger in the little hole and go round and round. He hung up. How boring. 
At least he could have let her watch. The strawberry blonde took one more sip of her tea, then stood. She left a 20 on the table. She was close to downtown. Time to do some shopping. Maybe some sunglasses would be just the thing. Two years and four months before the Novozyme incident in Greenland. Galena couldn't stop crying, couldn't stop shaking, couldn't stop coughing. All three things lumped into a single, convulsive force that locked her in place almost as surely as the duct tape holding her wrists and ankles to the folding metal chair. Pain. So much pain. At the base of her finger, where her left pinky had been. And pain in her pinky, which was impossible, because she had seen it, seen the tiny, severed finger. He'd cut it off. He'd shown it to her. Then he'd left her here, alone in the dark. The cloth gag in her mouth soaked up all her spit, made her mouth hot, clammy, dry. Snot bubbled out of her nose. She tried to take a deep breath and blow it out to clear her nostrils, but the shaking, coughing, crying made it hard to even take in air. She heard a door open. Footsteps, movement, but no light. She shivered harder. What now? What came next? He was there, with her, somewhere in the dark. He made no noise, but she heard a light hissing sound, like escaping gas. Heard the flick of a lighter. Then a new noise and real illumination, the fluttery burble and the steady blue-orange light of a blowtorch. She coughed and cried, tried to scream, tried to control the shaking. She knew she couldn't pull free of the duct tape, but desperation forced her to try again anyway. Try and fail. The blowtorch, so blinding in the dark, the only light she'd seen in hours. She squinted against the bright light. Couldn't make out the details of his face, only a bit of soft, orange reflection off of his shaved head. Time to talk again, Galena, the man said. Maybe you told me all of it, maybe not. I need to know exactly what you said to Fisher. You should try hard to remember. I also need details on your life. Bank accounts, usernames, passwords, things like that. This will be over soon. You'll be a very rich girl, and you get to go home again. Won't that be nice? She made another noise. Maybe she meant to say whatever you want, just let me go, but it didn't sound anything like that. The small cone of light changed, flattened, bent halfway at a right angle. What? The flame silhouetted something, something familiar. She would know that shape if it wasn't for the dance of the flowing blue-orange cone. Then the silhouette changed. It started to glow red-hot. Things moved, hands twisted. The flame's light died away. The room fell dark again. Dark except for the silhouette, and there was no mistaking it now. The glowing shape of a large knife. She tried to beg, but the gag turned her words to panicked, blurred syllables of nonsense. I'll take that rag out for you shortly so we can talk again. That should work well for you, because you love to talk, don't you? Ill deeds are doubled with an evil word, Galena. The glowing red knife came forward. In the darkness, it seemed to float toward her like a demon, like a ghost of promised pain. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.